turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, we are continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5 is our key text today as we look at the Beatitudes. You know, unless you have your head in the sand, I think you understand that our day is one in which peace seems to be this foreign concept, something that we don't really understand. We are well aware of the political turmoil in our land. I think everyone's aware of racial turmoil that surrounds us. We're aware of the pandemic turmoil that surrounds us. We're aware, some of us in here, even of the turmoil within our own Southern Baptist Convention at the moment. There's turmoil everywhere, it seems, that we turn. It seems that peace is something we have forgotten, and the call to be peacemakers is something that we perhaps have neglected. News channels no longer even report news as much as they have hosts who go on rants to stir you up. Sports channels have less highlights and more anchors who are going on rants to over-exaggerate what people are upset about, to continue to rile people up and even jump into the political arena. Twitter feeds are littered with jabs, insults, mudslinging. And if you look at Facebook threads very long, you understand them to be playgrounds for debate that leave once friends hurt and angry and broken. Many of you sit here this morning shaking your heads because you understand each of those things to be true. Perhaps you're suffering through those. So in light of that, we hear the word of our Lord this morning in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And our text for today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Today we need to hear the words of our Lord in Matthew 5, 9, that, that blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. In Colossians 3, 15, we're told, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In Galatians 5, 22, we are told and we understand that Peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the evidences of God's work in your life is peace in your life. The people of God are to be people of peace, those who are peacemakers. We are those who have been brought to peace with God through Christ, who proclaim the message of peace with God, and we do the hard work sometimes of making peace with those around us. We are to be peacemakers. So today what I want us to do is I, I want us to look first at, at God, the great peacemaker. And then I want us to look at how we are called to be peacemakers on both a vertical plane and a horizontal plane before we consider in the end what is the significance of being called sons of God. And so first let's consider God, the great peacemaker, the precedent, the example, the standard. We know what it means to be a peacemaker because we've seen and experienced God, the great peacemaker. Peacemaker. We cannot rightly understand, really, and we can't really 
rightfully speak of our identity as peacemakers without first considering the truth that God is indeed the greatest peacemaker of all. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans 5, 1 through 11. Romans 5, 1 through 11. There's a couple texts we're going to look at today as, as kind of complementary text, cross-reference text to this idea of us being peacemakers, and we'll try not to st- spend too much time in them. If we do, then we'll have a two-part sermon. All right, Romans 5, 1 through 11. Paul, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that we just have the peace of God. He doesn't say that we're, that we're made to have this peaceful disposition that comes over us. Here, Paul is speaking very specifically, we have peace with God. And it's through Jesus Christ. Now, for the sake of time, let's skip down to verse 6 where he picks back up on this idea. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For a while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What, what, what does he call us there in verse 10? What's the significance? He calls us enemies. Enemies. When we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God by what? By the death of his son. Listen, we need to understand that outside of Christ, anyone who is living outside of Christ, if you have not been saved by the blood of Christ, you've never repented of your sins and turned to Christ in faith, you're living as an enemy of God. That's the way Scripture calls you you're not just misinformed you're not just well-intentioned but you've missed it you're just you're, you're not someone who is walking around innocent you are an enemy of God an enemy of God this is strong language Romans 8 7 Paul describes this as says for the mind is that is not set on the flesh is hostile to God it's hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot Paul says in Colossians 1.21, he says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind were doing evil deeds. It, it wasn't just this kind of, well, I didn't know any better. There is a hostility in which man suppresses the truth, in which he is at enmity with God. He is an enemy of God, and he needs to be reconciled with God to have peace with God. Jonathan Edwards, in an August 1736 sermon called Men Naturally Are God's Enemies, said that there's five ways in which we are enemies of God. He says that, that we are enemies of God in our judgments, that, that we judge God to be one who is of little to be regarded. We, we look to him, we, we don't love him, we don't fear him naturally, we don't honor him, we don't seek to glorify him, so we judge God, one to be little, little judged. So in our judgments, we're an enemy of God. But he says we're also enemies of God in our natural, the natural relish of our souls. The natural longing, the natural relishing of our souls is not for his might. It's not for his holiness. Instead, we actually are repulsed by it. 
we hear the ideas that, that God is a sovereign God. He is a mighty God. He is a holy God. It's not something we go, oh, wow, I love that. No, in our natural state, outside of Christ, we don't relish in that. It, we're repulsed by it. So we're an enemy of God. Edward says also that we're enemies of God in our wills. That our, that our very will is at odds with His. We're striving for our own wishes, our own desires, rather than that which God wills. We don't live for His will in our life. We live for what we want to. And so in our wills, we're opposed to Him. He says, fourth, we're opposed to God. We're an enemy with God. We're enmity with God in our affections. So that instead of having desires for God and godliness, we have malice towards Him, naturally. We do not desire Him. We do not long for Him. We do not enjoy Him. No, we enjoy the desires of our own heart, our own will, our own affections, what we want. And finally, he says that we're at enmity with God in our practice. In our practice. The way we live. In our, in our walk, we walk contrary to God. Our, our lives are not lived for His glory, which is the very purpose of our life, the very purpose for which we were created. Essentially what this means, what Edwards is driving home in, in this sermon that was actually very long. In that sermon, what he's driving home is that essentially at every turn of who we are outside of Christ, we are at odds. We are opposed to Him. We are enemies of Him. We are at enmity with Him. But yet, Romans 5.10, what did it say? What did it say? We come back to this glorious truth. We just sang it, and all I have is Christ. We talk about how all we, all we should know is wrath. All we deserve is wrath, but yet now in Christ, all I know is what? Grace. <laughs> all I know is grace. This is what, it, this is what Paul's saying in Romans 5.10. While we were enemies, we were enemies, we were opposed to him, we were enmity with him, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were brought near. What is Reconciliation. That's a big word. A lot of you probably don't walk around and talk about reconciliation throughout the week. You should. Because it's what happened. If you're a believer, that's what happened. It's the work of God to establish peace with those who were once opposed to Him and His ways. It's the, the work of God to bring together two parties at odds. And those parties were us and Him. We were opposed to Him. He, he is, is, is the one who, who brought about this reconciliation. What? Romans 5.10. Through the death of his son. By the death of his son. It means that, that we who once were enemies were made friends. We who once were separated have been brought near. We who once were aliens have been made children of God. And we who once were at enmity with God now are at peace with God. That's what it means. Reconciliation is, is, what, is what brings man from being an enemy of God to being reconciled to God and adopted as a child of God. And what is it that does that is the blood of Christ on the cross. It's his work on the cross. Jesus Christ. You talk about being a peacemaker and the idea that, that God is the great peacemaker, right? We understand that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, all equally God. God the Son is described as Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6-7. Later in Isaiah 52, 7. When he talks about the Messiah who would come, the Son of God, he says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace or who proclaims peace, who makes peace known. We read in Colossians 1, 20 to 22, that God reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his 
cross. And then what we read in Romans 5.1, that God established us he, um, as justified by faith. Why? Because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, in the midst of all of this, here's what I want you to understand at this point. Is that peace did not come at the expense of truth and justice. It wasn't as though God just went, you know what? Um, they're at enmity with him or with me, and there's a problem, there's a separation, so let's just brush all that sin under the rug. Let's just ignore it. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. And, and let me figure out a way to, that I didn't plan on, and, and let me see what I can do. Oh, you know what? I'll just send Jesus, and he'll, he'll make a way, and we'll just forget all that. No, that's not what God did. God did not bring about peace at the expense of truth. He did not bring about peace at the expense of justice or at the expense of his holiness. No, he brought about peace by paying the price that was necessary to accomplish it. And that price was the very blood of his son. He, prayed, he paid the necessary price to establish peace, to make peace. God the Father is the great peacemaker. And he made peace by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place on the cross. Justice fully poured out. Holiness displayed. Righteousness on full display as the Father poured out his wrath on God the Son. And we who trust him, who repent of our sins, and place our faith in Him, are made at peace with God. Because those who have been separated, those who were at enmity with God, were brought near by the blood of Christ on the cross. That is why we worship Jesus Christ. Because He saved us, He redeemed us, He reconciled us. And the reality is that you need to understand there are some of you sitting in here today. There are some of you sitting and watching this today or at a later date and you're sitting here and you are at enmity with God. There's nothing in you that wants God. There's nothing in you that wants to live for God. You may come and you may sit in these chairs week in and week out to appease your parents or to appease a youth worker or another adult or to appease me. But you do so at enmity with God. You're an enemy. You're opposed to Him. You're opposed to Him. And you need to place your faith in Christ. Because it doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how many verses you memorize. It doesn't matter how good you look or how nice you are or what the right things you say are. None of that's going to matter. Because until you... Place your faith in Christ and the blood of Christ covers you and cleanses you from your sins. Until that time, until that moment, you are at odds, you are separated. And Romans 2 says you're a child of wrath. You need Christ. And so the gospel message, the good news, the good news that is published by the Messiah, the good news that we have the opportunity to proclaim and to announce today is that you can be made right. You can be brought back into relationship with God by repenting of your sins, turning from your sins, and turning to Jesus in faith and trusting Him as Lord. That's it. That's it. And you who were aliens are brought near and adopted as a child of God. Be reconciled to God. He is the great peacemaker. Now, we get back to Matthew 
chapter 5, and we look at verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And we talked about last week, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart. And then when we looked at verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about how in spirit, in heart, clarified, provided the context for our poverty and for our purity, right? There's no context given in verse 9. He doesn't say, blessed are the peacemakers in this situation or in this area, this way. And so we're best off to understand when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, that we simply understand that is who we are to be in every area and every aspect of our lives. We should be known as those who seek to make peace. And so I think it's helpful to think about how we do so on a vertical dimension and a horizontal dimension. We've already talked about it vertically between man and God, in which God initiates it and God made peace with us through the blood of Christ on the cross. The beautiful thing about that is, do you remember in Isaiah 52 what it said? It said of the Messiah, how beautiful are the feet who publishes salvation. Do you remember that? That was spoken about Christ. Now, Paul applies the same text about how beautiful are the feet that bring good news to who? To us who share the gospel in Romans 10. I want you to hear in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. We think about being peacemakers. We think about what God has done in our lives as believers. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 20, he's talking about their ministry. And he says this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God so so Paul looks at the the church in Corinth and says listen this is This is what God has done. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And now he has given us that very same ministry that we are to go about and we are to carry out a ministry of reconciliation. We are being entrusted with the message of reconciliation, he says in verse 19. And so what does Paul do? He says, I implore of you then, be reconciled to God. Listen, brothers and sisters, you who are believers, when we share the gospel, we are not merely seeking to change someone's mind. We're not not just trying to gain a church member and say, oh, we want more people to be members of Grace Baptist. We're we're not just trying to, to, to give people a better life. No, when we're sharing the gospel, we are telling people who stand at enmity with God, who are living opposed to God, how they can be reconciled with God. It's through the blood of Christ. It's not through cleaning your act up. It's not through trying harder. It's not through coming to church. It is through Christ. That's the only way you can be reconciled to God. And that's the privilege we have. So when we go about, we are sharing the gospel. We are proclaiming or publishing that salvation is found in Christ alone. Just as Isaiah said, we are publishing salvation. We're announcing it. We are telling those who are separated how they can be brought near. We are sharing the good news. That the brokenness that was caused by your sin can be restored through Christ. That's what we're doing when we share the gospel. We must not think little of that. It's not just an aspect of our ministry that, oh, well, I've got to go tell somebody about Jesus this week. No, it is a blessed privilege that we have as followers. 
to be able to have a conversation over our backyard fence or to be able to talk to someone at a coffee shop or to be able to stand at a work cooler or, or drive and talk to someone on the way to a, a business trip. To be able to share with them what it means to no longer be an enemy of God, but to have peace with Him. That is a blessing. It is a privilege. So the first question there for us today is this. How are we being peacemakers at this point? How are we being peacemakers at telling people about Christ? At being ambassadors of reconciliation? What are you an ambassador of? If somebody said, oh, I know that guy. This is what he stands for, and this is the message he's teaching and proclaiming. What would it be? Would an ambassador of reconciliation fall anywhere in that description? Are you an ambassador of Christ? Are you seeking to bring those who are at odds with Christ in right relationship with him? So that's vertical. Let's think horizontally. Horizontally. That we are to be peacemakers with others and between others. With others and between others. Listen, we understand, we've already taught this morning that Jesus' work on the cross brought us back into relationship with God. But you know what else it did? And not only did it restore the relationship between God and man, right? Not only that, but it also brings together parties who are at odds, who are separated because of their skin color, their ethnicity, who are separated because of their ideologies, or separated because of their, their socioeconomic status, or separated because of their past experiences, or separated because of their, their nationality, where they reside separated because of political parties, all those things are abolished through Christ. Look at Ephesians 2 with me. Ephesians 2. This is a really important passage. Ephesians 2. And we think about being peacemakers, and we think about the work of God, the work of God through Christ in making peace, that he not only made peace with us, but he brought opposing people who have all sorts of views, all sorts of ideas, all sorts of experiences that are different and can sometimes cause and oftentimes cause, which we see every day in our lives, cause animosity and conflict and chaos and fighting and warring. Christ comes and he abolishes that. Listen to what he says, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, no, sorry, verses 1 through 10 to give you context is that beautiful passage in Ephesians 2 where he starts talking about how you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were separated, you were uh, just a pursuing the things of the Lord, or not the Lord, of, of Satan, of the world. You're outside of Christ, but then God, by his great mercy, saved you by his grace through faith, not of your works, right? And so he's rejoicing in that, verses 1 through 10. And then verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here we go, you ready? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There it is again. It is the blood of Christ is central in this idea of peacemaking with God and also peace with others through Him. For himself, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that, there's the purpose, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. What a beautiful passage this is. That we would look and we would say there once was separation, there once was animosity. There are people sitting in this room today who have all sorts of views and ideas and experiences and thoughts and solutions for different things and and you have different jobs and different families. But we stand united in Christ. We stand here as one in Christ by the blood of Christ. We have peace through Christ, by Christ, and in Christ, in His blood. We are the people of God who live at peace with one another under the blood of Christ rather than living at odds with one another. There should not be fighting and quarreling and animosity in our midst because we are the people of God. Now, we can have disagreements. There are certainly things about how we should do something that we may have disagreements on. The pastors have disagreements on how things should go about being done at times. But ultimately, there is peace among us. We love one another. We care for one another. We forgive one another. We have mercy towards one another. Because we understand that the blood of Christ rules all of that. That we stand as one in Christ. And that is greater than any kind of difference we might have. The animosity that that you might have once had because of your view on something as opposed to someone else's view on something here, that has been abolished. It's not as though we look and go, well, you are a Jew and you're a a Gentile, so that's two classes of people. One has salvation, one does not. No, that wall was destroyed, it was broken down. The true Israel are those who trust in Christ, those who place their faith in Christ. That is the people of God. John Owen talks about, you know, in Ephesians 4.3. Do you remember Ephesians 4.3? He talks, um, uh, Paul writes and says that we should work hard. We should be diligent or eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, right? John, John Owen describes that as, as, as though we're all different sticks, and we're, we're different shapes, and some of us are knotty, and some of us are twisted and, and kind of gnarly. Some are thin, some are thick, some are different lengths. And, and Owen describes it as, as a belt, as a strap that goes around this bundle of sticks. It's this, this strap of peace that, that brings all the sticks together, and it holds them together, the bond of peace. And I would say this, that we need to know that that bond of peace is not soaked in any political stance or party that bond of peace is not soaked in any worldly ideology that bond of peace is not soaked in any past experience or or family background that bond of peace is soaked in the blood of jesus christ that is what holds us together we look different we may think different we have different experiences different needs but we are bound together in the bond of peace by the blood of Jesus. And that is why we are one. Now, 
when we think about that, what does Jesus call us in Matthew 5, 9? Blessed are the what? Peacemakers, right? He calls us peacemakers. We talked about horizontal peacemaking that happened, that Christ brought it about, right? Christ brought people together to be at peace with one another, not only at peace with him, but at peace with one another. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, my people are peacemakers. They're, they're not just peacekeepers or peace supporters or peace applauders or peace approvers, right? All, all of those would say, hey, we like peace. I don't know that there's anybody in here that say, hey, I enjoy peace. There's none of us that go on vacation and go, man, I hope a fight breaks out while we're there. Right? I, I'm really hoping for 10 hours of fighting in the back of the minivan. That's, I've never done that. Right? We don't want that. We don't want conflict. We love and we long for peace. But Jesus doesn't just say, hey, we, we want to be those who enjoy peace. That's good. Yeah, great. Anybody would, right? No, Jesus says we are peacemakers. Peacemakers. A New Testament scholar, A.T. Robertson, observed, it's hard enough to keep peace. It's still more difficult to bring peace where it is not. We are to be peacemakers. We are to be stepping into situations where there is not peace and seeking to establish peace. That's who we are. We are peacemakers. Why is this hard to do? Why is this hard to do? I think one reason is because it's costly. It costs us something to make peace. We see that in Christ. We see that in God, that, that God did not just sweep things under the rug and just say, you know what, it's no big deal. I'm going to make peace with them, and, and we'll just brush things under the rug. It's not it's no problem. No there was a great and a tremendous cost. The blood of Christ. He sends his own son to suffer death. It's costly. To make peace could cost your pride. It could cost your own desires. It could cost your good name. You step out and you take a risk. You risk your own neck. It's costly. I think another reason that it's costly is because a lot of people, A, just simply don't want to be at peace with each other. A lot of people just enjoy the conflict or they don't think peace is needed, right? That makes it difficult. It also makes it difficult that our natural bent is what? Our, our natural bent isn't really to make peace. I don't know that I ever, as a kid outside of Christ, I don't know that I ever had a fight with my siblings and went, you know what, let's just be at peace with one another. Let me do whatever needs to be done. I want to be at peace with you. I'm sorry. I forgive you and have mercy on you. I never did that. <laughs> never. If anything, I was already thinking and, and conniving, just thinking and planning and scheming on how I could get them back. Right? What could I do? How could I rat them out? How could I throw them in front of the bus? That's what I wanted to do. Right? Why? Because in our natural state, we don't want peace. We want retribution. We want revenge. So it makes peacemaking difficult because peacemaking rejects both of those. Peacemaking is more than a mere, full, a mere peaceful disposition. It's an active nature of seeking to make peace with those around us. And here's two areas, two ways. One is we have to make peace with others. A peacemaker makes peace with others. There's two ways. A peacemaker, peacemaker makes peace with others. Psalm 34, 14 says, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We meditated on Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, what? Live peaceably with all. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, be at peace among yourselves. Mark 9.50, be at peace with one another. We need to be those who are seeking to make peace with people in our lives. If there's someone I know 
is angry at me or that I've hurt or there's animosity between me and another person, I need to be the one to step out and to be a peacemaker, to go and take initiative and walk towards that person to establish peace. We live in a sin-filled, fallen world. And our church contains hundreds of people who are sinners. And that makes it really easy for us to say sinful things, to do sinful things. Opportunities for brokenness and hurt abound every time you and me take a breath in these four walls. (laughs) There's there. But in the midst of that, in the midst of realizing that we are sinners and we, we struggle with sin, but we are called to be peacemakers, that God says, my people, or my disciples, my followers are peacemakers. This is who it is that we live and we operate going, you know what, I am going to pursue peace and I'm going to seek to make peace with those who would be opposed to me. I'm going to do the hard work of pursuing peace when it's broken. So we are to be peacemakers with those in our lives we don't wallow in resentment we don't ignore hurt we don't thrive in conflict that is not what characterizes the people of god the follower of christ is a peacemaker and not only a peacemaker with others in your own life but also a peacemaker strives to make peace between others a peacemaker strives to make peace between others and we don't have time to to jump into all these texts, I want to give you some examples here of, of Paul being a peacemaker between other groups. That it's not something where he has, has, has come into a conflict with someone, but he is looking and sees that there is unrest, there's chaos, there's animosity, there's fighting, there's enmity with one another. And so he speaks words of truth to seek to bring about peace with others. So the peacemaker should seek to make peace between others. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 11. Paul does this. He, he writes to the church there. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. So Paul hears. He hears this news of quarreling, and he writes to them, and he says, listen, I'm appealing to you to be at peace. Let there not be any more quarreling. Let there not be any more divisions among you. That's not proper among God's people. Let there be peace. He is seeking to make peace. The same thing in, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 1-11. Paul, Paul talks about there, there's sin that's been in the church. He's dealt with it. Likely there's sin in, in a leader or somebody in the church that's been carried out against Paul from what we can understand. And, and Paul's writing and he, he understands that the value of peace hinges on forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation. So he writes to them there. He says, listen, if anyone's caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, uh, not to put it too severely, to all of you. So if there's something going on, it's hurt and affected the whole church. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So discipline's been carried out, that's enough. And he says, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So Paul, again, he's speaking words of peace into this congregation, into this people who are divided in animosity and, and they're, they're in chaos, they're hurting, they're in conflict, and he speaks, he's seeking to make peace among them, encouraging forgiveness, encouraging love, encouraging them to comfort the one who had been at odds with them, with him even. And then in Philippians 4, 2-3, do you remember that passage? Paul's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, a church that he loved dearly, that he had founded. 
right? And right in the middle of the letter, he says, um, it's just like this, almost like this side note. He's, he's writing and he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We don't really know what all is going on there. What we do know is that Paul is writing to this church and there's evidently something that's happened between these two workers who, who love the Lord and love him. They meant something to him, right? He served alongside them. They've done ministry in the trenches together. And now they're at odds. They're, they're fighting. And so he writes and he, he says, listen, would you please help them to agree in the Lord? Would you please step in and, and bring reconciliation? Would you make peace? Paul's being a peacemaker. Or perhaps the book of Philemon, probably a book that you haven't really read that often. I'm, I'm guessing it's very short. You can read it in about three minutes. It's just a very short letter. And, and in Philemon, Paul's writing. He, he's writing and he's been in prison. And in the midst of his time, this, this guy named Onesimus, who is a slave who fled. Onesimus, who has, has evidently done something to wrong Philemon. Philemon and Onesimus are not on good terms. It's kind of one of those situations where Philemon's thinking, if I ever see you darken the door again, buddy, right? Well, Onesimus comes to Christ. He comes to faith in Jesus. Jesus changes his life. Now Onesimus is going to go back. And so Paul writes a letter and he says, listen, I want you to receive him as a dear brother. Make peace. The whole, the whole letter, Paul is seeking to establish peace between Philemon and Onesimus. Listen, being a peacemaker not only means me seeking to live at peace with other people in my life, but it also means when I see you and you fighting, that I would do what I can to restore that peace. It means that I look and I seek and I go, you know what, if there's fellow members, I want to call for peace. If there's fellow members who are arguing with one another, with one another it is absolutely appropriate for me or anyone else in this covenant body to step into that conflict and to say, listen, let me help. Let me help. The fighting that is going on should not be going on. That's part of the covenant commitment we've made with one another at Grace Baptist. We need to carry it out. But you know what I also think it means? I think when we hear of discord in another church in our area, we don't chuckle we don't go, they had it coming to them. We, we don't kind of go, oh, oh, good. Maybe somebody will leave the church and come to grace. No, not at all. No, we, we pray for that body. We encourage that body. It, 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 it could be absolutely appropriate for me to call that pastor and say, brother, let me come alongside you and let me help you in any way I can. Is there any way that we can come and we can pray for your body and we can speak peace into you guys? We're praying for you. We love you and we appeal to you to be united in Christ who saved you and reconciled you to God. I don't know what that looks like exactly. Situations determine we would need wisdom in those situations, but I know that it does not look like us looking at another body of believers who who exalt the Lord and say that we worship Lord, the Lord. It doesn't look like us looking at them and going, ha I'm glad they're fighting. No, we don't applaud conflict. We don't applaud chaos. We seek to make peace. Make peace. Now, toe-stepping on time, right? Here's a question. We talked about this at lunch the other day. We were just talking about this passage. 
And the question came up, are you a peacemaker or a peacebreaker? Now just think about your life. Are you a peacemaker or a peacebreaker? What, what is a, a peacebreaker? How, how might you be a peacebreaker? How might be, you be one who says, hey, I'm a child of God, but I'm actually living my life and doing things in such a way that it's actually breaking and hurting and harming peace instead of building it? Here's some ways, perhaps by speaking careless words. You're, you're more, are you more concerned with airing your opinions than you are with the effect that they have on others? So just speaking careless words. Here's another way, grumbling and complaining. Is that kind of your demeanor that you just walk around, you're the grouch, and you just grumble and complain about things? Does that build peace? No, that breaks peace. Or perhaps it's you sending careless text messages or emails on, or posting a careless post that you're just kind of airing that out and you're not thinking about how does that, what, how does what I said or how does what I posted, how does that impact those around me? It's just kind of careless typing. You ramble out a text and it's hurtful. Gossip is another way. Gossip is a peace-breaking um, demeanor, a peace-breaking activity. That instead of praying for someone or talking with someone, you instead talk about them. Gossip breaks peace or speaking in anger. We understand Scripture talks about that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It certainly does not accomplish the peace of God. That we just lash out in anger, whatever we get a hold of. So how can we then instead be a peacemaker? I would say it starts with, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you view relationships, you view life through gospel lenses. We view life through gospel lenses. We walk about being peacemakers. First, we walk in wisdom with the Lord. We seek wisdom from the Lord. Proverbs 3.17 says, Wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. So we walk in wisdom in the Lord. Second, a peacemaker. If you want to be a peacemaker, you, be, you uh, should be merciful and forgiving towards others who have wronged you. Be merciful, forgiving towards those who wronged you. It's the same thing Paul appealed to. What did he appeal to? For them to show mercy towards one another, forgiveness towards one another. We see that in Philemon. We see Ephesians 4.32. We see it in Matthew 5.7. Third, a peacemaker is patient with others. A peacemaker is patient with others. That we understand that people battle sin, that people make mistakes, that people rub us the wrong way, that people are not perfect, just like we aren't. We're patient with others. Galatians 5.22, Colossians 3.12 and 13. The peacemaker is patient. The peacemaker, fourth, loves one another as Christ has loved you. A peacemaker is going to genuinely, deeply love one another as Christ has loved you. And then fifth, a peacemaker puts a premium on reconciliation. A peacemaker puts a premium on reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20, we already talked about it premium on reconciliation that's what it means to be a peacemaker now in closing he says for they shall be called sons of god being a peacemaker characterizes us as evidence of the spirit's work in us when we read this it's not the, the you know, it, the emphasis is not on sons of god it's not like we go oh, sons what about daughters of god the emphasis is not on the aspect of sons you can see that and understand that as children of god Okay, that's not what the focus is or the emphasis. What is glorious, what is incredible, the focus is that we shall be called sons of God. We should be called. This is who they are. It, here, this is the way I, 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 in my mind, I understand it. Is it this week? 
they took a picture of North Carolina's 21-22 basketball team. And you got all these guys sitting there in the uniform, you know, uh, North Carolina uniform. They're Tar Heels. But there will be a point in this season, and it's already happened, where Coach Davis looks at them, and they do something. One of them scores, and when he scores, he runs back down the court, and he points to the passer, right? Or there's a loose ball, and one of them dives on the floor and risks his own health, his own well-being to better the team. And in that moment, at the end of practice or in the huddle, Coach Davis looks at them and says, Boys, let me tell you, that is a Tar Heel. That's a Tar Heel. That's what we're talking about. Because all of them were wearing the jersey. At one level, they're all there. But in that moment, the coach looks and says, that's what it is. That's what it looks like. And here, we read the same same thing. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That God would look and say, my people are peacemakers. And when it happens, he says, that is one of my children. That is a child of God. That is a follower of Jesus, a peacemaker. I want to know, are we peacemakers? Are we those who do the hard work of making peace? John Broadus said, there is no more godlike work to be done in this world than peacemaking. For that is what God did for us. As he made peace on the cross through the blood of Christ. May we be a people who do the same who do the same, who proclaim the message of peace, who strive for peace with others in our own lives and call for peace in the lives of those who are at odds with one another around us. Let's pray.